we're in a series on Ephesians, and we're looking specifically in Ephesians 5, what it teaches about family. And what we're finding is there are all kinds of misconceptions. There are all kinds of misconceptions in the world. What our world is telling us is true, that isn't true, and that doesn't work. And, and at the same point, there are all kinds of ideas of what people think the Bible teaches that isn't necessarily what the Bible teaches. And probably out of all the areas that we get that wrong, there's probably no more, no, no more so than when the Bible speaks about different instructions to husbands and wives. Last week, we began looking at what the Bible calls us as husbands to. This week, we're going to look at what God calls wives to. And it's that passage that, you know, that, uh, you know wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And it's like, oh boy, that's, that's a hard teaching. A lot of misconceptions. Now, I will tell you that as I thought about that, I said, okay, do I really want to deal with that? I'd like to address, I'd like to just, you know, just pass over it, ignore it, pretend it's not there. Um, and I said, no, I can't do that. We're committed to preaching the whole of the Bible, and, but I still don't want to deal with it. So let, let me call my sister Julie and say, Julie, you wrote a book on this. Can you come and speak on it? And uh, D- Dr. Julie Slattery is the founder of Authentic Int- Intimacy. Uh, she speaks on nationally. She's written numerous books. She's got a podcast. And, um, and, and actually, we have even some of the books, some of our books available out here in the lobby. As a church, we want to make them available to you. So we bought them, and we're just making them available for a suggested $10 donation. I would really highly recommend her newest, one of her newest books, Finding the Hero and Your Husband Revisited. It really speaks on this issue. And so if you at all want to go deeper with anything that she talks about here, uh, you know, please let me encourage you to get this book. She also, we mentioned she's got a conference coming up in uh, Middleburg Heights in uh, October 14th and 15th. We wanted to also let you know that she's made available to our church a discount. So if you use the uh, code PARTNER10, it will be a 10% discount for anybody that's, that's connected with our church. And so we wanted to let you know of that because it's going to be a great event. Uh, but Julie, I'm so thankful for you being willing to come and deal with these hard issues. And, and thank you for being willing to do that and for just your ministry. Let me pray for you as we begin. Father, I thank you so much for the blessing that we do have to be here today, Father, to be able to look at your word. I pray your blessing on Julie. I pray that your spirit would come and speak through her, and Father, that you would speak your truth, not her opinions. And Father, that you would likewise be working in each one of our hearts to be able to hear your spirit, hear your truth, to put aside our preconceived ideas about what what we think or what we think the Bible says, and Father, to be able to hear your heart, to hear your call. And Father, to continue to align ourselves with your truth, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for trusting me with this. I appreciate it. All right. Some of you are like, we're talking about submission today. Uh, Can I leave? Are the doors locked? Can I get out of here? Because this is a topic that does create a lot of anxiety for many people, and for good reason. It is a passage that I think a lot of us are tempted just to skip over. Um, My sister Cheryl, who's in the back, I heard her once say that we like to sometimes read the Bible with a pair of scissors, and we just cut out the the pieces we don't like. And uh, this is one of those that we would be tempted to do that. But the importance is to read the whole of Scripture and to wrestle with passages like this that seem to not be uh, easy for us to understand. Some of you know that the ministry that I run, Authentic Intimacy, most of the time we talk about sexuality. So I am used to entering into difficult conversations and controversial topics. But I've got to be honest with you, this is probably the one that is 
was difficult to talk to talk about. And even within the family of Christ and those who would affirm the scriptures as God's inspired word, have a lot of disagreement about whether this is for today and what this actually looks like. And personally, I have wrestled with this topic of submission and marriage as a wife, but also as a psychologist who has uh, been in the situation of needing to help uh, women and couples navigate very difficult situations within marriage. One of, the, um, one of the reasons why we really struggle with this passage is because there is a reality of the fact that it has been used over time and in certain cases to put women in situations that are abusive to them or in harm's way. And that is a travesty. Uh, there are situations that really cause us to look at scripture and say, is this really God's heart? Would God really want women to be in harm's way or to stay in, for example, an abusive relationship? You know, when I think about that, I'm reminded of what, of what David wrote in Psalm 19. He wrote, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. They are more precious than gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Now, when we read this, we in general say yes and amen. You know, God's principles are great. His word makes us wise. They're sweet to the taste. But when we come across a teaching like this, can we really embrace this and say that God's principles are trustworthy, that his word is true, that they're more precious than gold, than they're sweeter than honeycomb? And uh, let me just ask women, could we really look at the passage in Ephesians 5 that caused wives to submit to their husband and say, God's commands for me to submit to my husband is perfect. It's refreshing to my soul. His design for marriage is trustworthy, making wives the simple. Submission is more precious than pure gold and sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. Do you feel that way? I think most of us as women say, no, submission tastes more like vinegar or it tastes more like liver because of the experience that we've had either personally or we've seen happen, whereas passages like Ephesians chapter 5 have been used again to put women in situations where they feel unvalued, they feel unprotected. And we've got to grapple as the body of Christ with that reality. When passages like Ephesians chapter 5 are used to place or keep women in a, in a situation where they do not feel valued or protected, it is not God's word that has failed. It's that we have not adequately understood what it means to walk out God's precepts. Um, Pastor Mike did a great job last week of really talking to husbands about what God is calling you to do as a husband. The call to lay down your life for your wife, to protect your wife, to love her as Christ loved the church. And when a husband uses a passage like this one to continue to devalue his wife or to harm his wife, he's doing the opposite of what God has called him to do. And so what I want to do in our time today is look at misapplications of submission and really get to the truth of what is God saying to wives in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3 and 1 Peter 3 where he calls wives to be submissive to our husband. Because I believe that if we have the right understanding of this, if we get the right picture of this, we really can say 
God, your precepts are good. They really are precious to me. They do really make me wise, and they're sweeter than honey. Um, so we've got a, a big task laid out for us today. I know, again, many of you are coming into this conversation uh, already feeling like, wow, where are we going to go with this? And for those of you for whom this is a very difficult conversation because of things you've endured in your past, I just say I'm so sorry. My hope and prayer is that this is a healing conversation for you as we press into understanding the goodness of God's love and his design for marriage. So let's talk about these five misconceptions of submission. Uh, let me actually, I have this quote, and I want to talk about it for a minute. I forgot. Um, last weekend, my husband Mike and I were visiting our oldest son, who happens to live in Boston, and we went to church with him on Sunday, and this was a new church for him, and he was just checking it out. He'd been there for a few weeks, and he told us uh, a, a few minutes before the service started, you know, I'm really not sure about this church. I don't really know where they stand theologically, but I really like the community, and I like the people. So uh, the pastor gets up to preach. He's a young guy, and he's preaching on Ephesians chapter 5, as you have been, and he's preaching on God's design for marriage. And I leaned over to my son, and I said, well, we're going to find out where your, your pastor stands theologically in a few minutes, because this is really one of those passages that it, it takes courage to be true to the scripture. And to make it even more difficult for this pastor, the church is about a half a mile away from Harvard University and about a mile away from MIT. And so the majority of the people in the congregation are these young adults who are brilliant, who've been trained in the world's thinking. And so this pastor has the high calling of walking through Ephesians chapter 5 for these young people. And he explained some of what I've just mentioned to you about how this has been misused over and over in our culture today and about God's word being good. And he made this statement, which I thought is really profound, that misapplication of a principle does not invalidate its truth. And there are a lot of Christians who would say, because Ephesians 5 has been misapplied, we should discount it. Instead of pressing into, God, I know you are good. Would you show me the goodness of this passage and teaching? All right, having said that, let's now jump into these five misconceptions about submission. All right, the first one is the misconception that God wants men or women to submit to men, that this is for all people, not just marriage, that somehow God designed men to be superior to women and that just by nature of our gender, women are always to be acting in reverence to men. And that's not just maybe a, a thing that we believe from the Bible. It's more so something that we've picked up through culture, where we've come through generations of people believing that in some ways men are superior, they're more intelligent, they're better at making decisions than women are, so women should submit. Can I just say that that's not a biblical thought whatsoever? The primary relationship between a man and a woman in the body of Christ is one of brother and sister, uh, one of equality. And there's lots of teaching in the New Testament of how brother and sister in Christ are to treat each other, that we're kind to each other, forgiving to each other, encouraging to one another. We speak the truth and love to one another. As iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen one another. There's this equality and mutual valuing and respect of each other. 
And so every man in the sanctuary who is in Christ, you are my brother in Christ, and we are to treat each other as brother and sister. Um, a few months ago, I said to my 19-year-old son, just kind of offhand, I called him brother. I'm like, hey, brother. And he's like, what? I'm not your brother. You're my mom. And I said, but yeah, I, you are actually my brother, and I'm your sister because we are in Christ. And even though I'm your mom, we will be brother and sister for eternity. Uh, I'm still not sure if he got that. But this also applies to marriage. When my husband Mike and I were dating, we were brother and sister. That's it. We were brother and sister in Christ. When we became married, we did not stop being brother and sister. Everything the scripture teaches about brother and sister is still true of us. But we entered into an additional relationship that, as we talked about a few weeks ago, is meant to be this pursuit of intimacy and oneness that expresses the intimacy that Christ has with his church. And so when I, as a wife, say, okay, I am to submit to my husband, I'm also his sister in Christ. Uh, so this idea of God wants me to submit to all men is not a biblical one. The truth is women are called to submit to their own husbands, and we see that fleshed out right here in Ephesians chapter 5. It says very clearly wives are to submit to their own husbands. Um, so that's the first misconception. The second misconception is that women submit in response to their husbands. Now, ladies, we feel this way naturally, even though we don't say it. When we're wrestling with whether or not we want to submit, we ask the question, is my husband worthy of my submission? Is he worthy of my respect? And does he deserve me to, to submit to him? And this is not the way that God wants us to think. We don't submit because our husbands are worthy of it. We submit because Christ Jesus is worthy of it. And so a woman submits in reverence and response, not to who her husband is, but to who God is, that he is worthy. This is something that I mentioned a few weeks ago when Mike and I taught together. Uh, when we look at Ephesians chapter 5, we have to remember that Ephesians 5 is not meant to be separated from the whole letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. And Paul spends four chapters writing about all that Christ Jesus did for us, all that the Father did to us to transform our identity. It's in response to that truth that I submit to my husband. Now, are the things that my husband will do to make it easier for me to submit to him? Absolutely, 100%. And over the 28 years that Mike and I have been married, We've grown in intimacy. He's learned how to love me well. He's pursued God in a way that makes this much easier for me to do. But in my heart of hearts, this has to be a God and me issue, not a Mike and Julie issue. This is really key. I have learned over time that Mike is God's provision of leadership for me. And instead of fighting against that out of reverence for God, I want to respect my husband. Um, so an example of this would be, um, I think it was a few years ago, my husband and I uh, were living in Colorado Springs, and we'd been there for about 10 years. I'm originally from Ohio, and I really felt like, 
It was time to move back from Colorado Springs to Ohio. Uh, my parents were struggling with some health issues and I really wanted to be near them. And I think I offhandedly said it once or twice to Mike, just kind of planting the seed and he didn't really say anything. And then one day we were, we were traveling to Ohio. We were, had flown to Cleveland. We were driving to my parents' house. It was probably a typical cloudy Cleveland day. And Mike just said, I never want to live in Ohio again. I love Colorado. And Julie, I'm happy to come visit anytime you want to come visit, but I don't ever want to move back here. And I thought, all right, Lord, I guess that's a closed door for now. Well, I started praying, God, if you want our family to move back to Ohio, would you please change Mike's heart? Now, I didn't tell Mike. I didn't even mention it to him. I didn't talk about it for months and months. I just prayed, God, would you make it clear by changing Mike's heart? So about six months later, we're actually in the beautiful mountains of Colorado. We're mountain biking and hiking. And out of the blue, Mike says, you know, I've really been sensing that God wants us to move back to Ohio. So what did you say to me back? <laughs> so here we are in Ohio. Um, but I, I wouldn't have done that 20 years ago. I probably wouldn't have done that 10 years ago. But as I've grown in my relationship with God, I've learned that the posture of my heart towards my husband needs to be one that is not necessarily that I always trust my husband, but I always trust my God. And I trust him to work in the move and the way that he expresses within Scripture. And so, ladies, you might say to me, and I understand when you say this, you'll say, but Julie, you don't know my husband. But I would say back to you, yes, but I know your God. And would you bring this before the Lord? Would you trust him? Because there are a lot of us women that will say, I will follow God, I will surrender in every area but this one. And God is saying, will you trust me in this one as well? And so our submission is ultimately in response to who God is. Misconception three is a submissive wife is a quiet wife. A submissive wife just doesn't say anything. And I've actually heard sometimes women teach like this. Well, they'll say, a submissive wife never gives her husband her opinion. And I'm like, no, I don't believe that. That's not true. That's not biblical. And let me show you why. The truth is that a submissive wife has a quiet spirit. And there's a big difference between never giving your thoughts and opinions and having a quiet spirit. This is not a personality thing. There are some of you ladies who would say, that's just not my personality. Like, I'm opinionated, I'm outgoing, I love to talk. Uh, I could never be that demure, quiet, like passive woman. That's not what this is talking about. Regardless of your personality, you can either have a submissive, a gentle spirit or a contentious spirit. I've met some women that are very quiet and meek in their personality, but they harbor all kinds of bitterness and resentment towards their husband. The few words they speak are critical. That's not submission. And to flesh this out, I want to take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3, where, where Peter talks specifically about this. He writes, Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. 
Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart that is in the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husband, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him the Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. All right, so in the beginning of this, what does Peter says? He says, you may win your husband without a word. Is he saying you shouldn't speak a word? No, he's not saying that. He's saying it's not your words that is going to change your husband's heart. It's your attitude. It's your posture. And he says very clearly that you should have a gentle and quiet spirit, not a gentle and quiet mouth. What comes out of your mouth when you speak reflects your spirit. Are your words those that are gentle and quiet? Are they encouraging? Are they supportive? Or are they words that are caustic and cutting and critical? And Peter is saying that you have great influence with your husband based on the posture of your spirit. I think another reason that we know that it doesn't mean that a submissive woman is a quiet woman, who's the example that Peter uses as a, as a submissive woman in this passage? You see it right there. Who is it? Sarah. Sarah, all right. Have you read Genesis, the story of Sarah and Abraham? Is Sarah quiet? No, like she, I see her as a pretty strong Jewish woman. Like she's given her opinion. She's telling Abraham what she thinks. And sometimes she gives him advice that's good and sometimes not so good. But she's anything but quiet. You know, if I were writing this, I don't think I would pick Sarah as the example. But Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, chose Sarah, I think for a reason, to show us that submission is not being absent of thoughts or opinion or strength. It's not about being a quiet person. It's about having a quiet and gentle spirit, which Sarah must have evidenced uh, in even calling her husband Lord. Um, not that you guys should go home and call your husbands Lord, um, but you could try it, see what happens. But the misconception that a submissive woman is a quiet woman is not a true one. All right, ready for number four? Submission means weakness. Now, honestly, how many of you have ever thought this? Raise your hand if you've ever thought this. Just a few people. Wow, you, Mike, you're doing a great job teaching them because they don't think this. Uh, but in general, a lot of people will think that God's call to a wife is to be weak. And again, when we think about what's happened with abusive situations, we think that a submissive wife isn't standing up. We think that she's just passive and meek and she never says anything. In reality, the truth is that only a genuinely strong woman can be truly submissive. Submission is not weakness. It is the intentional use of our strength for a greater good. It is great strength that's harnessed for the purpose of honoring God and creating true intimacy within a marriage. It's realizing that women, we have a lot of power in the marriage relationship. Even though God has placed our husbands in the position of headship or authority, we have the power. 
Do you remember um, that movie, My Big Frat Greek Wedding? Did any of you see that? There's a great line in that movie. The mom says, well, the husband may be the head of the home, but the woman is the neck. And the neck turns the head any way she wants. And boy, is that true within marriage. The women, we have a capacity within who we are to run relational circles around our husband and to build him up or to destroy him by what we do with our power. And what God is doing and commanding us to submit to our husbands is he's telling us to use our power wisely in a way that builds him up rather than destroying him and tearing him down. I want to give you an example of something that I think is really important. If we look back at, at 1 Peter chapter 3, at the very end of that verse, Peter said, be like Sarah who did not give way to fear. Submission is not giving way to fear. Now, what do women fear in marriage? Ladies, you probably can think of a few things. We fear our husband making a mistake. We fear our husband making a bad decision. We fear our husband not protecting us. And so we feel like we need to do something in order to cover that fear. But God is saying through 1 Peter, the heart of submission is what you do with that fear. And both a weak woman who refuses to act and an overpowering or dominant woman who takes charge is reacting to fear. So the weak woman is saying, I'm too afraid of conflict. I'm not going to bring up issues. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm not going to confront because I'm afraid of his anger or I'm afraid that he'll leave me. The dominant woman is saying, I don't trust him. If I don't do something, nothing's ever going to change, so i got to take charge. And so she becomes controlling or manipulative or she becomes critical or nagging with her words. And ladies, let me just say, I've been in both of these camps in different places. I'm, God convicts me, just even as I'm teaching you, uh, that God calls us to not give way to fear. And so what he's calling a woman to really do is to look that fear in the face and say, Lord, would you give me the wisdom to confront a situation and use words that are honoring and respectful even as I confront things that need to be talked about. So let's use a practical example. Let's say that, and I'm sure this isn't the case of any marriage here, but let's say that you're married to a guy that loves gaming or he loves golf or whatever, but let's say it's gaming and he plays video games and it drives you crazy because he's there gaming while you're taking care of the kids and you've told him before, hey, I need your help, I need your help. He doesn't do anything. All right, what do you do in that situation? Well, the weak woman is afraid to confront the issue because she is afraid he might get mad. So she does nothing. That's not submission. The overpowering woman starts to just nag at him and criticize him and tell other people that he never helps with the kids. She may yell at him. She may even sell his gaming system on eBay without him knowing. She is going to take over. What God is calling the woman to really do is to confront the issue in a way that affirms the relationship and gives the opportunity to grow while setting boundaries. So here's what that woman might say. Uh, she might say to him, honey, uh, I love you. 
I want to talk about something that's really important to our marriage. I've brought this up for you, to you before, but it hasn't seemed to make a difference. It really bothers me when you will just get sucked into gaming, and I feel like you're not helping me. I feel like this is unfair. In order to really address this issue, I'm going to ask you to us together meet with a third party, meet with a counselor, meet with a pastor, because I really care about our marriage, and I want to resolve this in a way uh, that will help us flourish. Now, do you see the difference between weakness and dominating? But the strong woman who is rooted in her trust in the Lord has the strength to call her husband to address the issue without blasting him. Ladies, this takes incredible trust in the Lord and strength in character. This is the kind of woman that God calls us to grow into, a woman clothed with strength and dignity that calls out the strength of her husband. Okay, last misconception. The last misconception is that submission in marriage, or really anywhere, is absolute. Now, what do I mean by this? It's this idea that whatever a husband says goes. No questions asked. And I hope you've already seen from what we've covered that the husband-wife relationship is also a brother-sister relationship. There's accountability within themselves. But more importantly, no authority is absolute except the authority of God. Most of you got married in a church. You got married by a pastor who is officiating. And you got married under the authority of the state that you were in at the time. Those things are not just traditional. They're also symbolic of the fact that your marriage is meant to be under the authority of God and under the authority of the church body that you participate in. And it's also under the authority of the, governing, uh, the government that we live in. The Bible says that all authority is given by God, and it's given in order to express his heart in how we, how we do life. Now, no authority is perfect, but we need to realize that marriage, your marriage, was never meant to be done in isolation. You should be working out your marriage within this local family of the body of Christ. That's why those community groups are so important. That's why having pastors and elders and wise people in your life is so important. Because there may come a time, wives, where you should not submit your husband. You just heard me say that. There may be a time in your marriage where your husband's leadership is outside of the will of God. And your call is not to submit your husband, but to submit to the Lord and the other authorities that God has put over your marriage. When we don't do this, when we don't understand this, this is what leads to the kind of harmful dynamics that we discussed earlier. I want to give you three situations in which a woman should not submit to her husband's authority. The first one uh, is if your husband wants you to sin or join you in sin. So when Mike and I lived in Colorado, one of the things that we would do sometimes on the weekends is we would drive our family from Colorado Springs all the way to the mountains. It was like a two or three hour drive. And we would go play in the mountains. Sometimes Cheryl back there, she would come visit us. And I think this actually was a time where we were coming to visit you, Cheryl, in the mountains. And there was this drive we would take that uh, it was mostly in the mountains, and so I would drive because I get car sick in the mountains. But there's this one part that's a complete straightaway 
for about 15 miles. You can see clearly, it's just a two-lane highway. And I'm driving, the speed limit's probably 65, and I was going about 70. And my husband was like, come on, Julie, this is where you can really make up some time. Come on, you can go faster than that. And I shouldn't have done it, but I did it. I started going faster than that. It was probably going, I don't know, 75, maybe higher, I don't remember. But I do remember that not a minute later, we passed a police officer. And sure enough, he turned around, the lights came on, and I was so mad at my husband. I'm like, this is your fault. You made me go faster. And he was like, Mike, Mike took it on the chin. He's like, I'm sorry, you're right. This is my fault. I'll take care of everything. Just pull over. So we pull over. I roll down the window. The police officer is there. He says, ma'am, do you know how fast you were going? And before I could say a word, Mike said, officer, it's my fault. I told her to go fast. It was my fault. And he said, so who do I write the ticket to? Do I write you the ticket? He said, I'll take it. You can write it to me. So the police officer went back to his car, and you know how they make you sweat. They wait about 10 minutes while you're just like, what's going to happen? We're having a good little marriage discussion going on here. And the police officer comes back up to my window, and he says, uh, ma'am, I'm going to let you off the hook at this time, but can I give you a piece of advice? Next time, don't listen to your husband. <laughs> and I, I've, I've repeated that one a few times. Huh? But that's a funny example. Um, but, you know, I should not have listened to Mike encouraging me to go faster because it was breaking the law. But there are other more serious examples of that. One of them is recorded in Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And this is a couple that sold a piece of property, and they said that they were giving the proceeds to the church. But they held back some of it on their own. They lied to the church. And Peter found out he was their pastor, and he first called the husband Ananias to meet with him alone and confronted him on his sin, and Ananias lied. And Peter uh, said, you know, you have lied against the Holy Spirit. And lightning came, I don't know how, but he just died right there. Ananias died on the spot. They pull out Ananias' body. Sapphira doesn't know what happened, but three hours later, she confronts Pastor Peter. And Peter asks her, did you sell this land for the price that you said? And she lied. And she dies right on the spot. Now, why wasn't Peter more lenient for, for Sapphira than Ananias? I mean, he's the one that said, submit to your husbands. Couldn't Sapphira said, well, it was my husband that made me do it? No, like we are accountable before God as individuals. And wives, if your husband is asking you to, or coercing you to do something that is sinful, your responsibility is to say no and to submit to God and to submit to other authorities that he has put in place for you. If he asks you to watch pornography, you say no. If he asks you to dishonor your parents, you say no. If he asks you to disobey the law or to tell a lie, we are accountable to God. And those are situations where we submit to God and not to the authority of our husband. The second reason is if your support enables your husband to continue in sin. And a good example of this is any form of addiction. That if you know your husband is struggling with an addiction to pornography, to gambling, to drugs or alcohol, God is not calling you to stand idly by in the spirit of submission. 
We see so many scriptures that talk about how a brother and sister are to confront each other in sin. We just studied a few weeks ago, Ephesians 5.11, where it says, do not have fellowship with the deeds of darkness, rather expose them. And it is love for a wife to expose the deeds of her husband when he needs help, when he needs to be confronted about a sin pattern. That is your role as a sister in Christ. And again, God has provided, if you are in a body of Christ, he's provided counselors and pastors and mentors and people to help you through that. But please don't submit, believe that submission is all and to stand idly by if your husband needs help or needs to be confronted in a sin. And then the third reason is if your husband is harming another person, and this would include you. God's heart is never for anyone to experience abuse, to be berated, to be belittled, to be harmed physically, emotionally, or sexually. That is not what God created marriage for. And if that is happening in your home, please reach out to someone for your sake, for your husband's sake, uh, for the sake of your children. We see an example biblically of this where God actually says that a woman did the right thing when she went behind her husband's back in order to protect the safety of her family. It's in, it's in, first, it's in first Samuel chapter 25. Maybe you'll have a chance to go and read it later, but it's the story of Abigail who is described as a beautiful and wise woman, and she's married to a man who was not a good guy, who did not make wise decisions for their family. And Nabal did something that almost led to the absolute destruction of the family. This wise woman, Abigail, went behind her husband's back and interceded and saved her family. And I encourage you to go read that scripture, because again, I think it shows that God has enabled women with wisdom and strength, and there's a time for them to step in and to prevent difficult and horrible things from happening. Uh, I sum it up by just repeating a verse that I shared with you a few weeks ago that I think really summarizes this. A wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears hers down with their own hands. Submission is really God's wisdom to us in how to use our power in a way that we'll build our home instead of tearing it down. Mike, you want to join me for some discussion? Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Julie, for being here, for helping us deal with this really tough subject. And, and it, I think it's important to redeem it. These are, these, again, these are sweet words that if we understand it, they help our, our, our families, our, our, they help us be healthier people. Mm -hmm. I know one thing that you all talked about with Mike, uh, that's what even Mike was saying, we've got to tell... Your husband's mic too, so if you just, yeah. you know, so, um, so we, you're trying to say, well, it's, it's brother and husband, so. Um, but you all were talking about how the key thing is understanding this is all about loving each other and meeting each other's deepest needs. A woman's deepest need is to be loved unconditionally. A husband's deepest need is to be respected unconditionally. And even in Ephesians, uh, at verse 33, in verse, uh, chapter 533, he comes back and kind of sums it all up, and he doesn't say to, again, and wives submit to your husbands, but he comes back and says, wives, respect your husbands. And, um, and, and that really is this call to saying, okay, how, do, how does submission and respect work together? How is this something that is meeting the, the, that deepest need of men? Yeah, I think it's realizing, again, that women have power. 
And the question is, what are we doing with our power? And it's really easy to use our power as a woman in a way that makes our husbands feel like they're always on eggshells or we don't approve of them. Uh, you know, like, again, the thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, he wants to know that you believe in him. And so submission is, is harnessing my power in such a way that my husband knows that I believe in him, that I'm for him, that I want to complete him and not compete with him. Uh, and so they really do go hand in glove. I, a yeah. submissive spirit is what helps a husband feel like, wow, I really can step out in leadership. I don't have to worry about my wife sniping at me or criticizing me or second-guessing everything that I do. Or not believing in me. Yeah. Yeah, or doubting. And, and I know, I mean, it's, as men, we don't talk about this that often, but we are way more insecure than we would ever admit. Can you say that again? Yeah, men are way <laughs> more insecure. And, and, it's, and it's true. And, and, you know, so men kind of present this hard, hard uh, confident uh, image because we don't want anybody to see how fearful we are. We're always afraid of being exposed. And can I just say, as women, we're made way more insecure than we would ever admit, but we're, yeah. we, we don't want to trust. And so God is asking us to step into our fear too. You know, I find it interesting. I meet with couples and I'll look at a couple and I'll talk to the wife and I'll say, you know, your deepest, her, I'll say to the husband, her deepest need is to be loved unconditionally. So that when she feels like she's done something bad, you know, just she's unlovable, she's not beautiful, she's not, but if you come and you say, I love you, you're beautiful to me, if you speak those words, it draws out the beauty, she becomes that. And, and she, you know, wives often will, you know, start to tear up and it's like, yeah, that's me, that's it. And then I'll look and I'll say to their wives and, and husbands, in the same way, God calls to respect him unconditionally. That's what his deepest need is, is to, at times when he knows he's messed up, when he knows that he's not respectable, that if you say, I still respect you. And it's interesting, I'll see guys kind of start to tear up, but they won't admit it. They're kind of, yep, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of, that's true. You know, just, we don't even want to admit that, that vulnerability. Mm -hmm. But yet, you see in that response that you have men as saying, I would long for that. Mm -hmm. I long for that kind of, just as a woman longs to be loved unconditionally and seen as beautiful, so a man longs to be seen as respectful. Mm -hmm. And he grows, he grows into it. Yeah. That's really true. And I think a lot of times as women, we feel like respect is a feeling and not a choice. And you would say the same thing for love, mm -hmm. but it is a choice. And to have a posture towards my husband where I'm believing the best, I'm calling out the best. Uh, yes, I'm confronting things when it needs be, but the posture of my heart is I am for you. And I love how you've been talked about, you know, you build up through our words, mm -hmm. and how one of the things that I've seen, again, working with couples, you know, a lot of times it's very common where if you disagree, well, you do this, and, and, and you kind of tear down, well, you, you know, you're selfish in this decision, or you, you know, you're not, you know, you're, 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 you know, you're not, you haven't prayed about it, or you haven't done, and the fact is, is that the more you do that, the more we, our tendency is to not say, oh, yeah, you're right, but to kind of double down and to hide. Um, on the other hand, let me just throw this out, I, you know, I, I believe and I've seen and working with people, and a lot of it is what you teach, this idea that a woman on the other hand can instead of criticizing and what you don't, kind of speak into what she would see the man becoming. Mm -hmm. And here's a big decision. And instead of saying, well, you haven't prayed about it, and you're selfish, and you're just, you know, say, you know what, God's, I trust you as the leader of our family, and I trust that in making this decision, you're going to pray about it, you're going to seek wise counsel, you're going to really tr do what's right for all of us. You're going to protect us, and, I'm, and I trust you to do that. Now, as, as a man, 
if, if my wife tells me that, I'm like, oh, now I have to be that. You see, suddenly now if she sees that in me, it's an invitation for me to become that. Mm-hmm. And that's that building, of, that's, you know, building, that's that empowering that you talk yeah. about of, of not an act of weakness, but of tremendous influence. Mm-hmm. And the only way we can do that is really, again, to put our trust first in God. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, this is not for the average husband and wife. This is for the Christian husband and wife whose hope is in Christ. And he is the one that helps us love each other unconditionally and helps women respect their husbands unconditionally. And I love what you said, we can't be the Holy Spirit for the other yeah. person. And yeah. that's all it is. It's, it's, God, help me to do what's right, and then pray for you to work on that, to change, change the other person's heart, mm-hmm. um, and giving room for God to work. Amen. So, yeah. well, thank you. And I do want to encourage you, you know, we've got numerous books out there, but especially Finding the Hero and Your Husband really deals with this far more in depth, and it's a tremendous book. And, um, and so if you have not gotten that, we, I know there are copies that are out there, Thank you so much for being with us. Sure. Thank you, Thank for, you Mike. For, for, for helping me out deal with a really difficult subject. It was my and, joy. Now you get to go on vacation, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, but so, so thank you so much. And I, I do want to encourage you. You know, I, there may be some that this is hard truths, and we hope this is the beginning of a conversation. That it's not, you know, that you go and fight about it or you go, you know, come and let us be a source of help for you as well. And I hope that God will do some healing and some a lot of relationships going forward. Let me close in prayer. Mm -hmm. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of this time. I thank you for Julie, for Mike, Father, for their relationship and their ministry. I thank you for just the wisdom that you've given to Julie, Father, from her study of your word. I thank you that you give us in your word truths that are timeless, that don't go out of date, that, Father, as much as our culture has uh, very different ideas on uh, on these concepts, Father, that... These are true, and because they're true, they always work. Father, help us to be able to struggle with the truth and seek to apply it into our own lives. I pray for the men that are here. Help us to become the men whom you've called us to be. Father, help us to run toward the masculinity you've created us with and to become leaders, to become initiators, to become uh, men who, are, if we're married, to, be, to love our wives unconditionally, drawing out their beauty, drawing out who that you made them to be. And Father, likewise, that you'd help women to be able to run towards the femininity of who you've created them to be. And if they're married, to be able to understand what this means of submission and, and, and respect in such a way that, that that doesn't bury their influence but draws it out. Father, help us to have the relationships you've called us to. I pray for those that are broken. Father, there are broken relationships here. And Father, you've brought people here today because they needed to hear this message because you want to do a miracle of restoring a broken relationship. Father, I pray that you would work in their heart. Don't let them run away from these ideas. But Father, help this to be the beginning of something that you're going to do amazing in their lives. Father, we thank you. We pray this all in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, you, Julie. And uh, thank you for coming. Thank you. Thanks. And God bless you. Have a great Lord's Day. Thanks.